So last evening we explored the first foundation or the first domain of mindfulness, mindfulness of the body in the body. This evening I'd like to begin our exploration together with a question. Am I looking in the right place and in the right way for the happiness that I'm seeking? The second establishment or the second domain of mindfulness is mindfulness of feelings. In Pali, it's Vedna Nupasana. And this foundation is potentially a particularly illuminating aspect of our practice towards directing our natural inclination for happiness to the right place and in the right way. Every experience that comes through the sense doors, touching, the body, the body sense, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and thought provides some kind of specific information for the mind. And there are particular feelings that occur through sense door contact with all of the various phenomena that we experience. So from the perspective of the Buddha Dhamma, these feelings are very simply and clearly classified into three groups. Pleasant feeling, unpleasant feeling, and what's called neither pleasant nor unpleasant feeling, which is neutral feeling. These feelings or feeling tones arise in response to either physical or mental stimuli. Attachment, emotional attachment, or aversion to sense door experience is a result that often quickly follows along directly from these feelings. So for instance, when you experience a pleasant feeling in relationship to some physical or mental contact with some object. For most people, there's an almost immediate emotional attachment to the feeling or to the object or to both. And then when the pleasant feeling subsides, which of course it always does, the desire to get it back or to get another one comes up quickly, either quite overtly or subtly. And a craving for arises, with craving immediately preceded by dissatisfaction and sometimes also very quickly followed by a state of dissatisfaction. And so our peace, our pleasant abiding, our sense of well-being is disturbed. 
the nature of dissatisfaction is agitation an inner restlessness which translates as stress mental and physical stress the experience of craving itself is experienced as some degree of a burning contraction if we see it clearly so again more stress when we experience unpleasant feeling in relationship to physical or mental contact with some object most people almost immediately experience emotional dislike or some form of aversion maybe fear or boredom or judgment or hatred or anger or disappointment we want to get rid of or get away from the object or the feeling or both and so again our mental peace is disturbed and so again we're experiencing stress so much stress in this life coming directly from one's relationship to pleasant and unpleasant feelings when the feeling is at least to some degree neither pleasant nor unpleasant what we could call neutral often the tendency is to ignore what's going on not connecting to the present moment's experience and maybe accompanied by a subtle or not so subtle state of not wanting not interested in being with not interested in being with the experience of that moment most of us humans are intense experience junkies we're quite addicted to intense experience if it's intense we're likely to pay attention and we don't really care whether it's pleasant or unpleasant it'll call our attention if it's intense and if it's not intense we often just simply don't notice and we might even think well nothing's happening so again we're craving something or experience experiencing the aversion of boredom or both without intimate and careful mindful attention to feelings they have the potential power to disturb us emotionally the potential power to make us suffer and an amazing thing about these feelings is that we often forget that they change the very same object that produced pleasant feelings in our mind sometimes within just moments can produce unpleasant feelings in the mind and vice versa and so again we experience attachment clinging and various aversive states 
Forgetting is the opposite of remembering. Remembering. The connection that mindfulness offers to see things just as they are. Quite some years ago now, when I was sitting uh, a three-month retreat at the Meditation Center in Massachusetts, the Insight Meditation Society, in the back, there's a little back dining room attached to the large dining room. And on that, uh, in that little dining room on the back shelf, there are, back wall, there are a bunch of shelves where yogis store uh, special stashes of things that they either need or think they'll need uh, during their retreat. So I had a stash back there. And um, one day there was a note from the person who had a stash next to me. There was a note on top of my stash. And I had no idea who this person was. I'd never noticed who was storing things next to me. And this note was offering me some green tea from his stash. And a very pleasant feeling came up and was noticed. A gift offered for me. And I happened to also like green tea, which was another plus. So I answered the note. Another couple days went by and there was another note on top of my stash offering me a hat. He'd noticed me going outside without one and the weather was starting to cool off. Well, that note didn't uh, inspire uh, a particularly pleasant feeling in my mind. I felt impinged on, not liking the attention at that point. But I answered the note politely and I thanked him and I said, I have a hat. Thank you. Then a few days later, there was a third note on top of my stash. And it was a question about practice. And a most decidedly unpleasant feeling came up. And a very quick, unmindful reaction in my mind to write back a not-so-polite note. But fortunately, mindfulness and discernment quickly kicked in and I didn't write back a nasty note. I just simply relaxed and let go and didn't respond at all, in fact. And the note stopped at that point. At the end of that three months of practice, I spoke with this person and he said he had gone through a similar process and was actually very grateful after going through some of his own inner turmoil, that I didn't answer him the last time. He was also quite happy not to uh, write any more notes. As I think you would all probably agree, that when you feel pleasant or unpleasant as a result of contact with some sensed or object. The pleasant and unpleasant feeling isn't in the external object or within the internal
internal object of attention such as a bodily sensation or a thought the feeling is in the mind so what is it that's quite often the root of the feeling that arises in relationship to our experiences in my three month retreat story the feeling tones and the subsequent action of answering the first two notes and the opposite feeling tone followed by a reaction in my mind to the third note were all clearly coming from a place of me when we begin to see that all of the feelings we experience are within us and that we ourselves are mainly responsible for the feelings that we experience we begin to know that we really can't blame others for the way that we feel what for many of us are habituated storylines such as he made me feel angry she made me feel terrible he made me feel so happy this place or these people make me feel so peaceful or so miserable as we begin to pay a careful attention to the feelings that arise the habituated storylines begin to lose their strength they begin to fall apart in the light of seeing things clearly blaming others for our feelings isn't realistic it's not the way things really work we have the possibility of letting go of the stories the myths that we have about ourselves and about others the various beliefs that we have about ourselves what we think we're capable of and not capable of how we define ourselves we have the opportunity to let go of to relinquish various beliefs that we have about our bodies our mind our emotions our creative capacity beliefs that we may have held on to and for ages years and stuffed into the very crowded closet of our mind we have the opportunity to right now just simply pay attention to our experience just as it is in this moment it's so simple it's hard to believe that really this is all it takes although as each of you know though it's so simple it's not so easy the potentially illuminating aspect of practice in relationship to cultivating 
a careful attention to feeling is that it's at this point in our experience that we have the direct immediate opportunity to drop our habituated reactions of attachment, clinging, and the various permutations of aversion. It's at this point in our experience of noticing the feelings of pleasant and unpleasant or the feeling of neither pleasant nor unpleasant that we can in moments just see experience and know directly bodily sensation visual form odors, sound taste and the manifestation of various thought forms and know the attendant feeling tone and that just be that in that moment There's no mental suffering. The heart, the mind are not disturbed. It's a moment of ease, a moment of peace. Giving birth for the first time 44 years ago was my first formal teaching and practice in mindfulness although it wasn't called that the Lama's birthing method which was what I learned and practiced was a training in being very fully present awake and aware in through the process the birthing process that was happening in and of itself and that I was very clearly uh, very involved with. Throughout the training we were told that any resistance to the process that was taking place would make it extremely uncomfortable and most likely quite unpleasant which I very soon, very quickly discovered when the birthing actually began. Getting myself out of the way of it, while at the same time being totally present, totally engaged and aware, in the midst of it was very intense. And not easy in the way that we usually think of things being easy but really quite okay and actually mostly neutral in the light of pleasant and unpleasant feelings selfless engagement in the birthing process allowed it to be incredibly interesting and truly filled with wonderment which was quite pleasant a very powerful lesson that's continued to inform me over the years 
the Buddha tells us that we're happy when we're mindful and during that birthing process there was a pervasive happiness that accompanied throughout the whole birthing process that I now clearly understand was there because I was so fully mindfully present in that process when you engage with a full presence in the activity of any of the creative practices offered in this retreat movement seeing, drawing, writing and when activity shows up as being pleasant or maybe unpleasant or maybe neutral one aspect of our practice is to be mindfully aware mindfully aware of this these feeling tones without making something out of it meaning without interpreting or speculating without analyzing without evaluating as we meet and connect with experience with an unfettered mindful presence we find authenticity open-hearted interest joy and spontaneous creativity emerging feelings are particularly important mental factors in developing insight into the cause of suffering because these feelings are what condition our mind to hold on to the pleasant and push away or avoid or ignore the unpleasant learning to mindfully observe feelings with more balance more equanimity and thus less attachment less aversion and identification is an important and very helpful door to open on our way out of suffering so this second establishment or domain of mindfulness in our practice contemplation of the feelings simply in themselves the feelings in the feelings an amazing aspect of mindfulness is that it has the capacity to connect directly and simply to the experiences that come through the six sense doors with what we can call a bare attention or bare awareness with bare awareness providing very immediate and direct access to these experiences just simply being known and sometimes we may experience just this but at times and i think quite often the direct simple knowing of phenomena may almost immediately be colored or modified by various mental factors various states of mind 
And this is the third domain or the third foundation of mindfulness. Mindfulness of the mind. In Pali, that's citta, nipasana. Mindfulness of the various mental factors or states of mind that arise in relationship to experience. So, for example, we go to the marketplace. The marketplace of the lunch food display. The marketplace of where to do walking meditation this hour or which shirt to put on today. Or as was mentioned this afternoon at the end of the movement session, the marketplace of thinking, how should I move in response to the direction that Jane has just given? And recognizing this as a thought based in the conditioned habit of needing to be in control which is always based in some degree of fear and for that moment simply relaxing and letting go of self allowing the body to move spontaneously naturally letting go of control letting go of fear. Living here in Taos, a place uh, that uh, many people visit specifically to uh, come to the marketplace. People come here just for that reason, many of them. There's a a great deal of beauty that abounds here on many levels. And I went through a period of of practice here some years ago where I'd walk down the street and looking into the shop windows and watch my mind and watch my body. Awareness of seeing. Just seeing. Forms, colors, bear attention. And then I would notice the coloration in the mind of wanting, of in the body, of leaning into, physically leaning into. And even sometimes the strong desire of seeming need. Greed, coloring a moment's experience of seeing. A good practice in the midst of the marketplace. Any marketplace. I continued the practice for a while until I finally found myself more and more often just seeing the forms and the colors and simply and joyfully and with great appreciation bearing witness to all of the beauty.
to sustain and deepen in our practice, to see things as they are. Two of the most essential qualities of heart, of mind, that are required of us are honesty and humility. Pretense, self-deception, and clear seeing are mutually incompatible. So for instance, if another person notices that I'm feeling and maybe even expressing greed or some form of aversion, it doesn't matter if his or her image of me is shattered. What really matters is that I'm willing to come face to face with these mind states bringing mindfulness right into the greed or the fear or the anger or the sadness. And as you know, this isn't always so easy. Tremendous interest, energy, and humility is needed to sustain the observation, to see yourself as you are. And because you see yourself as you are, without pretense, without self-deceit, and without judgment, you don't try to project a different image to yourself or to anyone else. Vimala Thakkar, who was one of Krishnamurti's closest students, and who has been a profound and powerful spiritual teacher in her own right, says this about humility. That is the only austerity that is required of an inquirer. The austerity of humility. To see things as they are. To see my inner being as it is. Good or bad. To observe it as it is without defending it without justifying it, without interpreting or judging it, without taking pride in it, and without relegating the responsibility of those states to other people. Humility is the perennial source of energy or freshness. Humility enables you to learn, keeps you pliable, perhaps to the last breath, I hope she says. The Dalai Lama told a story about a number of years ago when uh, he was taken shopping in uh, some big city uh, to an area where uh, there were many, many small shops that sell all kinds of mechanical parts and systems, small mechanical parts and systems. And the person who took him to this part of the city knew that he was particularly interested and fascinated by the mechanical workings of things. For instance, he loves to take apart watches and work on them and then put them back together again. And the Dalai Lama said that he found himself looking into the windows of the shops And at first, simply seeing, 
with an open curiosity and interest. And then all of a sudden realizing that he wanted everything. He said, I wanted all of it. And I didn't even know what any of it was for. I just wanted it all. (laughs) Humility allows us to learn. Even from the Dalai Lama. Are you mindful of your mind? You might ask yourself, how driven am I by my desires and attachments? How driven am I by my resistance and aversions? Taking a look now for a moment at the marketplace of your inner world of meditation. Meditation experience. For instance, a moment of deep calm. A mindful moment of directly knowing this calm. No thought about it. Just it as it is. Just calm, just tranquility being known. And then, maybe quickly followed by grasping wanting tranquility to never leave and maybe even some degree of fear around losing my tranquility without judgment directly knowing this experience this experience of attachment as well this is our practice too Mindfulness is able to know the mental factor or the coloration in the mind of wanting, greed, within the greed itself, or the colorations of anger, hatred, fear, delusion, each within themselves. Any state of mind can be known within itself, maybe from its arising known in its particular characteristics, how it acts, its changing nature, and maybe in its ending, its cessation. A moment of consciousness might be colored by faith, or by delight, or maybe by dullness, or by some form of aversion. And as I'm sure you've experienced at times, each of these mental factors, these colorations, may arise in relationship to the bare awareness of any given experience, such as a breath, a bodily sensation, a movement, a visual image, a sound, a taste, thoughts as memories, plans, fantasies or images in the mind. Thai monk and Buddhist scholar Venerable Analyo says this, the 
element of non-reactive watchful receptivity in sati, which is the Pali word for mindfulness, forms the foundation for the four foundations of mindfulness. As an ingenious middle path, which neither suppresses the contents of experience nor compulsively reacts to experience. This technique of simple recognition constitutes an ingenious way of turning obstacles to meditation into meditation objects. Practicing this way, bare attention or bare awareness of a hindrance becomes a middle path between suppression and indulgence. In the Abhidhamma, which is a very clear and detailed treatise on the workings of the mind from the Buddhist perspective, there's a long and very detailed list of uh, various mental factors that may come up quickly along the way to accompany and color the bare awareness of any present moment experience. This degree of perception and distinction with such minute detail regarding each and all of these states of mind isn't at all absolutely necessary for our practice here. I just wanted to mention that there is such a treatise that one can learn from. It's really enough for us at this point to be mindfully aware of the more usually and ordinarily experienced colorations of any given moment of consciousness as they arise and as they quickly change and cease. So, for instance, mindfulness knowing states that I've already mentioned and that you're uh, experiencing daily here. Delight, calm, joy, faith, liking or disliking, judgment, disappointment, clinging, attachment, fear, anger, hatred, irritation, appreciation. Knowing any of these mind states in relationship to the bare awareness of experiences, again, that you're having moment to moment of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, moving, touching, thinking. And again, a reminder, the essential nature of mindfulness is that there's no attitude of judging or discriminating between right and wrong, good and bad. It's just this in this moment, whatever it is, however it is. Within mindfulness itself, there's no grasping, no rejecting, no manipulation, no judging or evaluating of experience. So this third Establishment of mindfulness, mindfulness of the mind, 
mindful awareness of mental factors, mindful awareness of states of mind, seeing and knowing the colorations of consciousness in themselves. The last aspect of mindfulness that the Buddha points us to is called mindfulness or contemplation of dhammas. And dhamma in this case can be translated as the truth or the way of things or the natural laws. This domain of mindfulness can be grounded specifically in any of the six sense doors. can be grounded in seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, or thinking. And this one is sometimes difficult for people to understand. I tried to make it as clear as possible. This fourth establishment of mindful awareness, contemplation of dhammas. It can also be grounded in the five hindrances, five hindrances being sleepiness, restlessness, or agitation, doubt, or the grasping mind, or the aversive mind. The particular wonderful and illuminating specialty, so to say, about this fourth domain of mindfulness is that whatever our experience is, it's seen through the doors of the Dhamma. It's seen through the doors of the nature of things, of the way of things, seen through the doors of the truth whether it's experience in the physical or the mental realm, this fourth domain of mindfulness sees and knows experience through the doors of truth. So, for an example, speaking just briefly this this evening about just one of the insightful doors that particularly relates to our practice in this retreat. And this is the doorway of the three universal characteristics that all experiences of body and mind are imbued with. In this fourth domain of mindfulness, we can directly, experientially, pay attention to and recognize and clearly come to know that every experience of mind and body is always changing, is impermanent. Anicca, the Pali word. Each and every phenomena of body and mind, as well as everything we perceive around us, begins and ends, arises and disappears. There are hundreds thousands, millions of little endings, deaths, moment to moment to moment, breath by breath. And as our practice deepens and matures, it gets easier and easier to open to, clearly see and accept and surrender to this perfectly natural truth. What appears to be a steady flow of experience, even 
with the presence of consciousness itself is not as we ordinarily perceive it to be. The reality of body-mind experience can be likened to the separate frames of a film. The illusion, the delusion, being as though it's happening with an ongoing, continuous flow. When, in reality, it's all beginning and ending, arising and passing away, on the most minute level, second by second by second. And this can be known directly, experientially, through mindful attention. And it changes our life when we begin to see this. And some words from the Buddha. Yogis or bhikkhus, when he talks to his talk to his monks, he calls them bhikkhus. But we're all yogis, we're not bhikkhus. I will teach you the way that is suitable for attaining Nibbana. Listen to that. And what yogis is the way that is suitable for attaining Nibbana? Here a yogi sees the eye as impermanent, sees forms as impermanent, sees eye contact as impermanent, sees whatever feelings arise with eye contact as the condition, whether pleasant or painful, as impermanent. She or he sees the ear as impermanent, sees the mind, mental phenomena as impermanent, sees mind, consciousness as impermanent, and sees mind contact and whatever feelings arise with mind contact as the object, whether pleasant or painful, as impermanent. This, yogis, is the way that is suitable for attaining Nibbana. Every experience is anicca. Every experience is impermanent, which is the first universal characteristic. And because of anicca, no experience that comes in through the six six sense doors is ultimately or permanently satisfying. And yet, we continue on through our lifetime searching for something some experience that will finally satisfy finally make us happy this unsatisfactoriness is the endless search and the endless search that goes along with this unsatisfactoriness is what the Buddha called dukkha which is often translated as suffering And this is the second universal characteristic. The last of the three universal characteristics that we may come to know within this fourth domain of mindfulness is in Pali, anatta. The truth that all experience, all phenomena is selfless, is totally interdependent, constantly changing. In other words, is totally contingent in its very existence. 
both within its own seeming solidity as well as in its seeming set or static place in the world. Our body being an immediately available example of this with all the parts and all the functions of the body being a totally interdependent and all of it constantly in flux. All is anatta. All is empty of any separate solid self. As we begin to directly experience and know anicca, impermanence, and dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, and this third universal characteristic of anatta, or no-self, it all reveals itself directly through our practice of mindful awareness. The no-self or emptiness of all experience, all phenomena shows up quite naturally and often in unexpected and maybe quite subtle ways. We begin to truly understand that no matter how hard we might try, there's absolutely nothing that can be clung to. Even our often tightly grasped, seemingly set-in-place self-identities. As we begin to intimately, experientially see and know these three universal truths, our relationship to life begins to change. Wisdom, equanimity, and relinquishment, letting go, quite naturally begin to blossom with this seeing and knowing. And we start to relax more. We start to relax more deeply into simply and more clearly just being here with things as they are. There's a wonderful metaphorical teaching. Uh, It's the Narcissus story that was uh, rendered by Stephen Mitchell, his own rendering of it. This is Stephen Mitchell's version of Narcissus. It was not the image of his own face that transfixed him as he bent down over the pool. He had seen that face often before in mirrors, in a thousand photographs, in women's eyes. It was an undistinguished face, but handsome enough, with its long eyelashes, full lips, and stately nose sloping to a curious plateau near the tip. No, it was something else now that rooted him to the spot. Kneeling there, gazing into the so-taken-for-granted form, he grew more and more poignantly aware that it was mere surface. When the water was calm, it was calm. When the water rippled at the touch of a leaf or a fish, it too rippled or broke apart when he churned the water with his hand. More and more fascinated, he kept staring through the image of his face into the depths beneath, 
filled with a multitude of other moving shadowy forms. He knew that if he stayed there long and patiently enough, he would be able to see straight through to the bottom. And at that moment, he knew the image would disappear. In a conversation with his student, Mekia, the Buddha offers an important and clear teaching about anicca, anatta, and liberation. This is from the Buddha. Contemplation of impermanence should be cultivated for dispelling the conceit, I am. For one who perceives impermanence, Mekia, the perception of not-self, is established. With the perception of not-self, the conceit, I am, is eliminated. And that is Nibbana, here and now. And so as we go along in our practice, and when we're ready, this fourth domain of mindfulness, mindfulness of Dhammas, opens up the beautiful door to freedom, the simple and beautiful door to liberation, which we may experience just briefly in moments, with it eventually becoming more and more pervasive through our life. From this perspective, we could say that every single experience, every single phenomena, holds the Dhamma, holds the truth. The Dhamma, the true nature of things, the way of things, is within everything. Simply here to be seen, to be known. If we just take the time to experience our experience intimately and directly, if we just take the time to really be present and look carefully, The setting, pace, and support offered in an intensive retreat setting such as this, with formal sitting and walking, movement, seeing and drawing and writing practice interspersed with each other, is a rare and perfect opportunity to deepen your direct experience and understanding of the reality of no-self. The truth is right here to be seen directly through every sense door, through every so-called hindrance, through every experience of body, mind, and heart. And within each and all phenomena that's happening everywhere around us. In some Buddhist schools, this is spoken of as within samsara is nirvana or nibbana. Samsara being our ordinary, everyday, unconscious, suffering life. But within that is Nibbana or Nirvana. Within the whirlpool of our ordinary lives, your ordinary life here in retreat, within the whirlpool of Samsara, 
if we metaphorically stand still, calm, cool, focused, mindfully attentive, in that moment, we're no longer conditioned by ignorance, by ignoring and being caught in the whirlpool of pleasant and unpleasant, caught in the whirlpool of I like it, I don't like it, no longer caught unaware in the whirl of continually, unwittingly moving around and around and around the wheel. In the midst of samsara, we can stop and pay an extraordinary kind of attention, a mindful attention, and wake up. Mindfulness is the tool, the medicine that allows concentration, joy, equanimity, wisdom, and creativity to blossom. Mindful awareness is the primary tool, the medicine for our awakening. And as it was so graphically talked about during the time of the Buddha, we take the medicine to purify the sickness and heal ourselves. We have the possibility of wandering into the natural state of the equipoise of an undisturbed mind. The world outside going on and around and around just as it is. Thoughts and feelings arising and changing, coming and going. No different than anything else in the world. Nothing to argue with. Nothing to cling to. One of my Burmese teachers, Saida Opandita, speaks about the fact that essentially there's just one Dhamma that we need to practice, which uh, is maybe uh, a great relief to those who think that they have to practice many, many things, many Dhammas, to be liberated. The Pali word for this one Dhamma is Apamada which is sometimes translated as vigilance, which actually can be understood as it's elaborated on in the commentaries to the suttas as mindfulness. So from this perspective, mindfulness, just mindfulness, is the one dhamma that we need to practice. And again, some words from the Buddha in his speaking about mindfulness as the overarching factor necessary for awakening. These are his words. Rooted in careful attention. Careful attention is declared to be the chief. Accomplished in careful attention. With a mind that has developed the enlightenment factor of mindfulness and discernment. One penetrates and sunders the mass of greed that one has never before penetrated and sundered. The mass of hatred that one has never before penetrated and sundered. The mass of delusion that one has never before penetrated and sundered. Yogis 
just as the rafter of a peaked house slant, slope, and incline toward the roof peak. So too, when a yogi develops and cultivates mindfulness and discernment and all the other factors of enlightenment, which are balanced effort, joy, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity, he or she slants, slopes, and inclines towards Nibbana. And so I'd like to close the talk with a a short poem from Rumi, which uh, when I read it over this evening, I saw that it very clearly connects with the movement practice that we're doing for these next couple of days. Connects with the whole thing, but really connects with the movement practice. Don't try to be the sun. Be a dust moat, lunar moth. Love the candle. Taste your life. Put your shoes on, upside down. And let's sit silently for just a few moments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.